The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. So there's been a drip drip in recent days of MPs signalling they will not stand for re-election. Um, this is something they've been asked to do in light of the boundary changes. Fraser, the latest figure is Sajid Javid, probably the most high profile figure yet. What can we take from the fact this uh, seasoned former cabinet minister, someone who's gone from the leadership, I think, not once but three times, has decided the Commons is no longer the place for him? Well, I always expected Sajid to stand down at the next election, simply because he has done six cabinet jobs. I don't think there's many people who've done more. He would have wanted to have been foreign secretary under Sunak, but that was not offered to him. And at that moment, there wasn't really, there were no more worlds to conquer for him in Westminster. He's still young enough to go and start again as a financier. I mean, I think he was sort of semi-thinking this under Theresa May when it looked like she's going to get a massive majority and she didn't want him. I think he would have had a, a dilemma as to whether even to stand in the 2017 election if he had no future. So uh, to me, this makes perfect sense. It's slightly more logical than the younger Tories who are, are jumping ship. But then again, we've got the situation where we're going to have, I think, they've got a deadline until 5th of December to say if they want to stand again. And if not, they can start to shape their new lives accordingly. So I think probably by the early next week, we'll have a few more names. And also we ought to remember that right now Rishi Sunak is still doing pretty badly in those opinion polls. 25 points behind Labour, that is not a good place to be. And on those polls, you're going to have at least half, probably more, of people currently representing Tory seats liberated into the uh, independent sector, shall we say, by the voters at the next general election. So some of them are understandably making that mental shift now. And James, this comes as we also have the result of the City of Chester by-election, and that was a uh, Labour hold, but ultimately Labour did boost their majority by quite a significant margin, and if you think, go back to 2015, that was the most marginal seat in the country. Since then, Labour have held it, but so it's not, I suppose... um, it's not one of those by-election losses uh, in the sense that Boris Johnson saw where it raised lots of questions. But to Fraser's point, it's just adding to the sense that if the polls stay as they are, the Tories are going out of power by quite a significant margin. Do you think Sajid Javid's announcement just adds to a bit of a sense of a decay? I don't think it does, actually, because Sajid Javid, as you said in your introduction, he, he's run for the leadership several times. He's served as Chancellor of the Exchequer. And as Fraser said, it's hard to see what else there is left in Westminster for him to do. He's only 52. And, you know, if he retires at the next election, he has time to have, you know, given that most people are going to work until their late 60s, at least, you know, he's got time to build another career going back maybe to finance or the like. So I, I don't think his decision is that significant. And it's more former cabinet minister decides to step down. But the optics? No, the optics, obviously, coming after a result which, you know, Tories get a worse result in Chester since 1832, is difficult. I mean, what Chester suggests is that the polls are basically right in that Labour are clearly at the moment comfortably ahead 
And Chester is also a, a place that I think is demographically trending a bit more Labour. But I think that, you know, I don't, I don't mean this... I mean, the, the Chester result, if you showed a pathologist the opinion polls at the moment and asked them to map it onto that seat, that's essentially what's happened. And by the way, if extended nationally, that would mean that the Tories go down from 365 seats, which they've got now, to 134 seats, while Labour more than double from 203 seats to 425. Now, we all know that the race gets tighter as the general election approaches, but the gap which Rishi Sunak would have to close now is so big as to th- I'd be surprised if you'd find many people saying that it's probable that Sunak is going to make it. Certainly the betting markets say that the most likely election result is that of a Labour landslide. Now, one good thing, by the way, of Sajid Javid announcing now that he's going to stand down is that he has got nothing to lose by talking candidly about things like the National Health Service, for example. He was health secretary. He will know that that thing is not working it is of national concern, of national importance, to have a health service which can function in a way that serves the country. Now, right now, you've got the Tory party who know the NHS model is broken, but they also believe they don't have the political capital to fix it. You've got the Labour Party who realises that the NHS might collapse under its watch in government, and so they would, even they would need to think of radical changes. You're getting NHS senior executives comparing the NHS to the Titanic going down. So it might be possible that Sajid Javid does make still an important contribution to politics over the next couple of years, however long it is to the next election, by being the dispenser of uncomfortable truths, by saying that I've been in all these government roles, I know what needs to happen to the health service, it might not be politically palatable, but for example, co-payments is the only way of doing it. So I think this isn't quite his retirement from politics. I'm not quite sure what song Sajid Javid is going to sing before he does leave this mortal Westminster coil, but I think it will be a significant one. James, do you think having all these MPs on the backbenches who've uh, now publicly said, and we expect more before this deadline, and more after the deadline in a way, this deadline is, in many ways, uh, not exactly what it seems. There's nothing forcing There's, you. No, you can't um, not stand yeah, down after yeah, it's passed. Exactly. Right. No. So... Is that going to be a parliamentary management problem for number 10? Because, to Fraser's point, you could be making interventions in their experience, but you could also have people saying, well, I don't really like what I'm being asked to vote for, and I'm leaving in a year and a half anyway, so why should I suck this up if it's, if it's not matching my interests? I think probably the, the biggest parliamentary management problem is that over half of the backbenchers have been ministers. And so once people have been ministers, they tend to take a kind of view of that they're more inclined to speak their minds, less interested in what is kind of going to position them best for preferment. I think there is obviously, there are two challenges to MP standing down. One is that you lose, I mean, I don't think it's a, a, a case in such a Javis seat, which is you know, 23,000 majority, but you obviously lose the incumbency advantage, which in, which in competitive seats is, is a problem. And it also means, even if people are not trying to cause trouble, people's mind will shift to what they're going to do outside rather than being fixated on Westminster. And Fraser, you mentioned um, what the Chester result would mean if you made it into you know, a national result. And obviously it's a by-election, by-elections are different. But what do you think about the polls on Rishi Sunak? Because he's only really been in number 10 just over a month. Do you think he should be doing better? He did inherit a pretty bad situation. Should is an interesting word. 
it was always that we knew that we, he, he inherited a dreadful situation. Right? There's no way, but the, and he the, the bond markets needed calmed, and he certainly succeeded in calming the bond markets. But when you also look at, I think the Tories were at one point twenty two points in the polls, and Labour were up to like fifty five points. So there was a very big gap between those two. But after a month of Sunak, that gap is still way way bigger than it was at any point under Boris Johnson. I think the, the average now is, 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 so I said 25 points earlier, it's not, it's 20 points. And um, the Tories are averaging 27 and Labour is averaging 47 on the recent opinion polls. Now, I still think that gap is so big as to be unbridgeable politically for him. If he wanted to win, he would need better figures than this. So when you talk to the more optimistic Tories, you say to them, OK, talk me through the scenario whereby Sunak pulls this off. They are talking about some, like, say, the inflation theory comes down from the sky and zaps inflation and it goes away, that there is some other sort of act of God. You know, we're talking some, some right now unforeseen economic event would have to come along and change things because as things stand, the, the gap is small. And the other thing about Rishi Sunak, I'm afraid to say, is when you look at his own popularity, it's awful. He's had one of the most worst debuts of any new prime minister in modern history. Most prime ministers score a positive net approval rating. I mean, Blair was positive, Blair was positive 60, Brown was positive 20, Cameron was positive 25, Theresa May was positive 40. Now, and of course... What was Liz Truss? Oh, Liz Truss was, was negative 2, okay. and that was bad, but Rishi Sunak was negative 7. So he has started, he has debuted being even less popular than the trust. On the question of who would make a better prime minister, there's been several polls I've seen where Rishi Sunak is faring better than Keir Starmer in that question. Yes. And, and also, that question is quite decisive in some general elections, you look at the history of it. Yes, you can, and also there's the economic competence where the Tories have just got the marginal lead on, on Labour again, which they didn't have during the trust years. So again, the Sunak optimists, maybe we, we, we might hear from one in a bit, would tell you that we're going to, that you know you, you, you need to look at the who would make the better PM, who's a stronger thing. And by the way, that could be right. But I'm just saying that when you look at the, the metric of popularity, it tends to be something that, you, that only goes down. So you might start with a super high amount, like Blair did, but he ends up being reviled. And we, we've got this on the Spectator Data Hub, graphs of popularity from the start to the finish, and they really only go one way. Now, I have got a, a, a high opinion of Rishi Sunak. He is somebody who I would personally place on a higher uh, rating than any of the guys I've just mentioned. But my high opinion is not shared, it seems, by the general public. But we ought to remember that he didn't exactly win an election either. All new prime ministers tend to be popular because, by definition, they've just been voted in by people. Nobody voted in Rishi Sunak, not even the Tory party members. So I think if I would like another Conservative government, which I would, then people like me have got a work to do persuading the rest of the country that Sunak is the right person. So when I saw that, um, actually, we haven't even blogged it yet, because it's, uh, but, but when we came across it, Michael Simmons, the data guy, was saying, look, Fraser, have you seen this? This is quite significant. Sunak is going to really struggle to recover from this. But there is probably another way of looking at this, sort of more glass-half-full way. James? Uh, so look, I think in British politics, the leader numbers and party numbers tend to converge, right? If the Tory numbers converge on where Rishi Sunak's numbers are vis-a-vis Keir Starmer, the next election is going to be competitive, close for whatever phrase you want to use. 
if numbers converge on where the Tory party's numbers currently are, the next election is not going to be competitive or close. It's going to look much more like what, what you saw in, in Chester. So that, that's the question. Where They are going to converge. Where do they converge? Does the Tory party move up to where his numbers are? Or does he move down to where the Tory party's numbers are? That, that I think, is the, kind of the question. And you can chart out scenarios for either of them happening, obviously. But I, mean, I think that, that probably is the most fundamental question because, uh, as Katie said, I think, you know, I think there are some polls where Sunak's ahead, some polls where Starmer's ahead, but that head-to-head race is much, much closer than the party numbers, which, is not, which are not close at all at the moment. The probabilities, Katie, and then, I mean, the betting markets are a very poor guide to what's going to happen, but they're the only organisation out there that actually attach numbers to these scenarios. So a Conservative majority is given an 18% likelihood by the markets right now, Labour minority 23%, Labour majority 50%. So the markets say there's a pretty much 75% chance there's going to be a Labour majority or Labour minority government. Now, these markets have were completely failed to predict Brexit, completely failed to predict the 2015-20 majority. These odds are there to be beaten, but that is the general expectation right now. So when people like Sajid Javid and others are making long-term decisions about their future, they're also looking through this glass darkly and seeing a pretty bleak future for the Conservatives. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, do please rate and review the podcast if you like it. Also, if you don't like it, but ideally if you like it. Thanks.